This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. And people, people who are enormously dull, they know it. You know, there's a certain point in their life, they realize they're a dull person. They're a dull person. And what they do is they, they poke you. They, well, people will talk to you. So yeah. anyway, and they just annoy you, and they poke you and tap you. <laughs> and you just, you just want to deck them. It's just, so anyway. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> and I'm one of those people who does not like. Ooh, I know. To, to, to I, I be... thought of that halfway into the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are a lot of people who do this. They'll actually, you know, do this. Yeah. I got to tell you this. You know what I mean? Well, they I leave. watch you all the time. Well, they lean. You get the leaners. They lean on your arm. They just kind of go. Actually, the more dull the story, the harder they lean. Because that's what they're doing is keeping you from fleeing. That's their whole thing. Because they know it's uninteresting. They go. So we moved all our savings to a CD. You broke my arm. Look at that. That's how dull that is. You broke my That's arm. That's to keep you there under exactly. control. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. That was actor and comedian Paul Reiser kibitzing on the couch with Johnny Carson during a 1987 appearance on The Tonight Show. Since first getting a guest spot on The Tonight Show in 1982, the same year he starred in Barry Levinson's classic film Diner, Paul Reiser made 25 appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, the Tonight Show played an important role in his career, and Paul Reiser knows well that Johnny Carson always went the extra mile to make young comics shine. Now Paul Reiser is paying back the favor by bringing Johnny back into America's living room in a new scripted series centered around The Tonight Show in 1972, just after the show moved from New York to Burbank, California. With involvement and approval from the Carson estate, There's Johnny seamlessly incorporates original Tonight Show footage into every episode, building the plot around that night's show. The result is both a hilarious backstage comedy and a heartwarming coming-of-age story told through the eyes of Andy Claven, a 19-year-old kid from Nebraska who stumbles his way into a job on The Tonight Show working for his hero, Johnny Carson. Today I'll talk with Paul Reiser, who created There's Johnny with his Mad About You collaborator, David Stephen Simon. He'll be joined by his fellow executive producer on the show, Jeff Sotzing, who is Johnny Carson's nephew and a former producer on The Tonight Show, and now acts as the keeper of the flame for Johnny as head of Carson Entertainment. They'll talk about meticulously recreating the look of The Tonight Show, both on stage and behind the scenes, why they decided that no actor could fill Johnny's shoes, and some of the true backstage stories that made it into the series, including the time Johnny Carson participated in an FBI sting to catch his own extortionist. Paul talks about his first appearance on Carson and Johnny's impeccable timing and generosity to young comedians like himself. Jeff will talk about his own coming-of-age story as a young kid working on The Tonight Show, and he'll share his memories of his uncle Johnny, including being there for Carson's final episode. They'll share tales from the infamous Tonight Show writer's room, including the antics of legendary jokester Pat McCormick. They'll recall the rat-packy coolness of the longtime Tonight Show producer Freddie DeCordova, played on the series by Tony Danza, and they'll pick their favorite moments from Johnny Carson's 30 years on television. Coming up with Paul Reiser and Jeff Sotzing in just a moment.
Today I'm sitting down with actor, writer, producer Paul Reiser, who along with David Stephen Simon is the co-creator of a wonderful new television series called There's Johnny, which debuts on Hulu November 16th. It's a coming-of-age dramedy set behind the scenes of The Tonight Show during the Johnny Carson era of the early 70s. So along with Paul, I have his fellow executive producer on the series, Jeff Sotzing, who was a producer on the original Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and now runs Johnny Carson Entertainment. Paul and Jeff, thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. I can't tell you how much I adore this show. I was only able to watch the first episode, but I can't tell you how much I adore it and how happy I am that you guys have made this show. I've heard some who haven't seen it yet compare it to the Larry Sanders show, but I think it reminds me a lot more of my favorite year because you guys (laughs) seem to have less of the snarky, mocking Hollywood tone and a lot more of, I guess, a real affection for the golden age of television and showmen like Johnny Carson that you don't see anymore. That's an interesting uh, observation. Yeah, it's... I'm thrilled. We're thrilled that you like it, Uh, and uh, feel free to tell a friend. (laughs) I have. And, uh, you know, yeah, you know, part of the reason... We all had such affection for Johnny. And we started making this. I was uh, kind of uh, overwhelmed and surprised by the the pulsing, very much alive affection that people walk around with. Jeff probably gets it all the time because he's working with Carson and Johnny's legacy daily. But you tell anybody we're doing the show and they'd have a story about, oh, you know, my dad used to watch I used to watch it with my parents. And everybody has such a fond spot in their yeah. heart for Johnny. There's an incredible connection to the show. People have incredible memories. People watch this religiously. We were talking about the fact that people would stay up till 1130. Millions <laughs> yeah. of people. And that was part of the fun because yeah. I was 15 when, you know, when this show was on. So it was, you know, school night, high school. Mm-hmm. And you'd sneak it. You know, I could try and sneak it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I would call my shots. I'd probably watch when I knew my favorites were going to be on, when George Carlin was on, mm-hmm. when Albert Brooks was on, when the comedians were on. It's, I think, part of the reason, well, Jeff can answer this better than me, but I think part of the reason that I think Jeff was able to uh, take a shot with us and uh, is, is that he knew that we held Johnny in esteem and that we had mm-hmm. great affection and we had no desire to throw any mud at, at this, his you know, beautiful legacy. Having Jeff around was was really great because you know he would he was our authenticity uh, expert. Mm-hmm. So he would sometimes oh, they'd yeah, be really minor, invaluable. but we care like you know the microphone is a different microphone or like <laughs> no they wouldn't do that they would cut away and then they'd come back. So he kept us on our toes, but it was a thrill because we rebuilt the set exactly yeah, yeah as it incredible. was. And and we've had people who were on the show Johnny's Johnny's secretary who was a right hand person for many years came on wow. the set and just went. Oh, my goodness. And even the offices, which we kind of were designing, we had brilliant set designers who just, (laughs) I guess, found old pictures and it looked like it did. So Mm -hmm. there's a real authentic feel to the show. Well, I went back and watched your first appearance on Carson in 1982. That was a big (laughs) mistake. What was that first experience like? What was it like for you, more important? Because I'm I thought you were funny. I thought you were funny, but it cut off the clip, and that's Jeff's fault because he's in charge of that clip. (laughs) So I don't get to see if you got invited to the couch at the end of it. Yes, we did it on purpose. Right. No, I didn't get so funny. Everybody, every did civilian knows. They all want to know that. Yeah. Yeah. The couch, I understand the couch is very significant. <laughs> I didn't get the couch, but I got the, a little thumbs up or some, some indication oh, okay. of that, uh, oh, yeah. the okay that, sign. The okay sign. Or maybe sign. he was giving was me the big uh, finger. I don't know what he was. It might have been. But um, that was the only time that I did uh, stand up that I actually performed. Every time after mm-hmm. that, was I, I went straight to the couch and I mm-hmm. did it, you know, uh, as. 
<laughs> sort an of as a, as yeah. a ruse. You right. do material, but you pretend. You know, Johnny, I was just thinking, and then <laughs> pull out health. a bit. That was your help. Yes, because yeah, that was you the know, same phones year you are did... very different today, Johnny. <laughs> because that was the same year you did Diner. So right, from then was... on, you were on as an actor promoting a TV show. Right, that was film, my first. Guess, huh? That was my first yeah. shot. Was exactly the week the Diner came out. So it was in conjunction with that. And then okay. I, I, a few years later, I started doing it pretty regularly. And uh, you know, for a comedian starting out, that's. I always said that's the end of the rainbow. That's as far mm -hmm. as you could see. Yeah. And that was the only standard. <laughs> Didn't matter what other shows you got on. You want yeah. to get on Johnny and you want Johnny to like you. So I remember when I finally got there, it was exciting, but it wasn't surprising because we had, you know, we, we uh, had pictured it. We had envisioned this moment. And then when you get there, you feel like, oh, this makes <laughs> sense. This is exactly what I thought. That was a big deal during the 80s comedy boom you hear these stories of, you know, someone would get discovered at the comedy store mm. by the booker on The Tonight Show. They go on The Tonight Show the next week, and the, the very next morning, suddenly yeah. they're getting networks with calling yeah, I don't know how often that offers, actually but happened, but that's that was certain, But that was part of, yeah. a big part of why we wanted to start our show, There's Johnny, in 72, which mm -hmm. is when the show moved to L.A. Right. And uh, a couple of things. A... That's when I think in the shadow of that was where the comedy store developed, and then out of that, yeah. all the other places. So, for years, you're watching. Oh, there's Buddy Hackett, and there's you know Groucho Marx, yeah. there's Jerry Lewis. Suddenly, you're going, "Whoa, here's a new guy. Here's Steve Martin. Wow, that's different. Yeah. Here's Albert Brooks. Haven't seen that." And Johnny loved comics. Jeff, and you can speak to this. Was Am I correct that when he moved officially out to Burbank that the show took off in terms of numbers? Very much so. Yeah? Really? Yeah, between the 70s and the 80s, that's when the show had its biggest audience. And, and what was that number? What, do you remember? I don't know the number, but There's I know that it, it was responsible for like 25% of the revenue for the uh, entire network. Wow. Is that right? It's huge. <laughs> really huge. 25% yeah. from one show wow. at yeah. 1130 Yeah, a late night show, too. Yeah. That's wow. wild. That's <laughs> and, it, wild. and it's true that if it's you incredible. had a, a great stand-up uh, on The Tonight Show, you could, you'd could be working yeah. Las Vegas the next week. That's, yeah, that's and it happened. And, and, and I'm, uh, that wasn't my particular trajectory. I didn't wake up the next day with a career, but I certainly felt it out in the world mm -hmm. that people saw you. But more importantly to me, it's like other comedians saw it. I remember one time I was yeah. at, at the at the Improv Comedy Club out here after I had done a Tonight Show, and Rodney Dangerfield, who had never spoken to me, came up and goes, hey, kid, that was a great, great, great set, great shot. Johnny, Johnny really cracked up. And I went, wow, Rodney's watching. Right. It well, matters you, now. You know, Rodney, that's funny, he, he, his part in Caddyshack was found by uh, the, the producers and director watching him do a shot on The Tonight Show. You know, they said, oh, wow. that's the guy. And Johnny... A was a comic and and so funny, but he was uh, unlike many others who might have done it. He is he was so supportive and so rooting for you to do well because he mm -hmm. looked great, right? He wasn't competing, right. so yeah. I mean he he just loved. And I, I would I'd venture to say more than <laughs> an oh, actors. Uh, uh, yeah, actors. I, I think it, it it was important for him that the that the guest was successful and whatever mm -hmm. he could do to make the guest more successful. Yeah, th that, yeah. that worked. And he did it in a lot of ways. For comics, you're sitting there, or all guests, you have a thing prepared, but you want to make it look natural. Right. And Johnny was masterful at telling you, at knowing when to interrupt, when not to interrupt, mm -hmm. when to change the subject, when to sort of bolster you a little bit. And then also sometimes, you know, I had done 
bits that were not going over well, and he would just have this twinkle in his eye, like, "God, man, you started it." You know, like, and and that became funny. Just like he would, you know, bomb and get a, a laugh with a, with a bad joke. Yeah. But there was one time that Jeff was mentioning that that I did a bit, and it was about. Uh, how annoying it is when people talk to you on a plane and they touch you, the guy sitting next to you, and he's touching your hand. You can't see it, but I'm doing that. And and in my head, I, I don't know that I knew it, but I sensed that Johnny is one of those people who did not like to be touched, that's right. my guess. Right. Yeah, I would but, imagine. But there was a moment where I was about to do the bit, and he intuited that I it would have been funnier if I could lean on his arm. But his arm was not really close. So if he really wanted up, he just would have slid it over to, towards me, but that would have been uh, kind of unsubtle and uncool. Yeah. And I didn't see it, I didn't notice it until I went home and I saw it on the air that night. What he did was he lifted his hand up to his face, scratched his nose a little bit, then reset his hand an inch closer to me, <laughs> right. right when I needed it to be there. I went, <laughs> man, he's good, yeah. look at that. Yeah. Now, at what point did you start looking back at those days on The Tonight Show and thinking, Maybe this would be a good scripted series. <laughs> Did you ever? I mean, you had thought about it, over, or people had approached yeah, you over yeah, the years, some, right? Yeah, some different ideas of how to use this material. But the the fact that Paul was a part of the show and was mm-hmm. so successful with Johnny and had such great chemistry, it just seemed to work. And the script that you and David put together was fantastic. Well, when we first pitched this to Jeff, and we said, uh, "Here's," because we knew it would. We really wanted to have the clips, and you couldn't do that. I think even if we you didn't have, have the a show, we would that. want the blessing yeah. of the Carson company. But when we told Jeff, I said, "Listen, it's about this kid who comes out and he doesn't know what he's doing with his life, and and uh, and he, he gets this job, but he's screwing up, and nobody can yell at him because Johnny likes him." And Jeff says, "Well, you know, that's that's my life story." <laughs> I said, "No, yeah. I didn't. I just met you." And yeah. but that was that, right. That was yeah, jo- that Uncle is. John. Yeah. Uncle John helped me out. Yeah, that was your coming of age story. Tell us a little bit about that. You were actually Johnny's nephew, right? I am. Yeah. Oh, you are. You still are. <laughs> I, yeah. He graduated. No, yes, I did. <laughs> no, I had a tremendous experience. I grew up in Philadelphia, where you know I would go to New York and watch a show in the '60s. My uncle Dick was the director, so I could sit in a booth and see all these tremendous acts and. Um, I never thought for a minute that I would actually work on the show, and uh, I got an opportunity to, uh, as an entry-level job, like answering the phones and sorting the mail and uh, in the 70s, and was able to turn that into uh, a producer on the show, so wow. I was very fortunate. Now, and what was, what was that actual moment when, when Uncle John said, was it just a casual thing? Was he, did, did your parents go, we're worried about Jeff? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, had, I was in Pasadena, going to Pasadena City College, studying two-inch videotape editing. Okay. Oh, so, okay, you're already in there. And at, a, at a Christmas get-together, he said to me, what are you doing? And uh, and he and I had, I don't know why, we had a connection. He gave me his drum set when I was a kid. So mm, you uh-huh. know, we, we, we connected that. We had a good sense of humor. My mom has a great sense of humor, and they were great friends, so we kind of shared that. Um, and I said, I'm, t- I'm studying tape editing at, at Pasadena. I said, really? And I said, yeah. And about four or five months later, my mom called me and said, Uncle John called and said that the receptionist at The Tonight Show wow. quit. And if you want to work there for the summer, it'd oh, be an opportunity really? to, uh, to learn. What I an experience. that. So yeah. somebody had to fall off the tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when I got there, they said, let me tell you what. This is the only job you're going to have at The Tonight Show because nobody leaves nobody the leaves. show. <laughs> and this is a great show to work on. So, but, so what a fortuitous thing. Yeah. Here's, yeah. So we, I, I forgot that piece that you were studying editing. Yeah. But still, Ong John said, come in and, and work on uh, as, a, as a whatever. It wasn't specifically for tape. No, I think that he thought that it was just going to be uh, a few months in the summer. Mm-hmm. Because then ironically, I job. think my, the, my sense was that it was go make yourself busy and stay out of trouble. Right. Yeah. And 
up to uh, Jeff is the one who actually cataloged and started archiving all the tapes. Oh, up to that point, nobody had done it, and they didn't wow. somehow miraculously didn't or unbelievably didn't see the value of it. Right? Yeah, so then you said when they wanted to do a clip show, the reason yeah. we always saw the same seven clips mm -hmm. is because they didn't know what else they had. Well, no, right. you couldn't find it. I <laughs> you mean, couldn't find it before video cassettes. Wow, that's amazing. So Jeff went into the basement and came out seven years later <laughs> yeah, with like here it is, <laughs> and then we ended up using that story yeah. in our uh, in our series, which was. Uh, Perfectly for there were a lot of great yeah. moments that weren't deliberately. We didn't take Jeff's life, but it kind of <laughs> it kind of merged and became this thing. Yeah, I was just going to ask: Were there any particular experiences as a young man on the show that made it into theirs, Johnny? Well, you know, a number. But it's, really? it's so funny you say that because I, I think I told you this: that one thing that I did on the show was I tried to book talent, and I booked one person, and <laughs> it was terrible. It was so bad. I, I can't don't tell me it was Paul. Well, I don't want to tell you who it was. No, no, just a, it was it was during. Um, Remember the show Real People with uh, yes, okay. Skip Stevens? Yes. Whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't Skip, okay. it was somebody else. And um, so this person was what we called a civilian. And uh, oh, oh. we actually oh, yeah. bumped uh, Stan Getz and <laughs> put my guest on, and he was terrible. And as I walked out of the studio, Bobby Quinn, the director, walked past me and said, Welcome to the NFL. <laughs> and there's a scene where Tony walks by. That's oh, that's right. He says, "Welcome to Hollywood." Right. Every time I see that, I go, "Oh man, that's exactly what it was like." Talking about the civilian pieces, I think growing up that was one of my favorites, and it right. sort of speaks to Johnny's Midwestern heritage that yes. he liked to have some little grandma from Minnesota or whatever come up and show off her potato chip collection well, it's that like, looked like it's celebrities. One of, exactly. one of our favorite clips. <laughs> yeah, the potato chip lady or the guy yeah. who has made uh, jewelry from quail droppings, those kind of people. <laughs> I did the show once, and I remember the guest after me was this like 100-year-old piano teacher woman. <laughs> but, what, but what also speaks to Johnny, you talk about his Midwest, but he was um, so many things to so many people mm -hmm. and they never conflicted yeah. he was hip he was you know he got Albert Brooks he got the really yeah. avant-garde comics he loved the jazz guy he loved singers he could totally you know so he was he was conservative he was edgy he was a little bit mm -hmm. bad boy but he was and he never uh, it's not like he changed hats he just was himself yeah. and in a way that and, and, and then of course with the civilians you never felt like they were being patronized as they might right. be today right like Johnny just made them feel at home or little kids like he just uh, was so rock solid and, and that was yeah. a great fun in researching and looking for clips we just you know would say, we'd get lost and like okay oh, we were bad. watching clips for six hours we should maybe write something <laughs> yeah. but it was all fascinating well, yeah. like when when Joey Lawrence comes on, who's like seven years old on the show, and Johnny says to him, "Have have you ever seen this show before?" And he says, uh, "Once when I was up vomiting." <laughs> this is great. You can't, you can't write that stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, that makes me think of the lead actor in this show who plays Andy Clavin. He's only twenty-two. Now, Ian Nelson. Had he, did he have any reference for the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson when he came on this project? It's interesting. Yeah, uh, he he did, and and he's really a terrific actor, and and, and did his research, and and we were so lucky to find it because he really kind of is this kid. He's just this sweet kid who is thrown into this world, and he's just trying to do his best. The character, but we had a lot of uh, actors exactly that who came in. They were twenty two and said, "Yeah, I didn't know who Johnny Carson was." I went, "Are you kidding me?" And I thought, "Well, okay, he's been off the air twenty five years, I suppose." But I don't know. I still feel like I knew who the Marx Brothers were. They were they were yeah. done yeah. when I got there. But you you know you do you, you do your homework, right? You you, you should you should know in, in all in yeah. all creative world you should know what came before you. You yeah. know, in my day, Jeff, <laughs> I'm starting to become that cranky guy. <laughs> exactly. But there were there were people yeah. who 
you know, that's another part of the exciting thing for, for me is, you know, you don't have to know Johnny Carson to watch, to know this show, to True. enjoy this show. True. So it's there are many people like time. us who will go, oh, I love Johnny. Let's see what this is. And then you get hooked, hopefully, by the characters in the story. But for those people who are coming in who know nothing, they're going to leave going, oh, he's really good. <laughs> and look who he had. And, yeah. and so we're getting to introduce Johnny in, in a really fun, unique way. So you're not worried that millennials might not come to the show because they don't no, have that that's base what's, reference. Of. No, you know, because, again, I mean, Johnny is a big, glittery, uh, uh, sparkly <laughs> bobble on this show. <laughs> but it's not about Johnny. Yeah. It's about that world. Yeah. And when I was a kid, I go, I need to, it's sort of like you're going through your TV into this show. And just with this kid, he was in our character uh, who plays Andy. You know, he's sitting in his house in Nebraska watching Johnny. And 24 hours later, he's there on the set. It's like it's as if he fell through the set. And um, I, to me, you know, the show is really it's about these really interesting characters. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you don't have to know anything. I think I think the millennials come in and watch it and. There is there's a there's a surprise factor. I think this show is really hard to categorize. Yeah, it's a I comedy agree. for sure, but there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of drama and a lot of surprises that I think are well earned because you like these people, you know. And that's with any good TV show, you come every week because you like those characters. Now, one person who's not portrayed by an actor on the show is Johnny Carson. You see him in the clips, but you don't actually have an actor playing Johnny, nor do you have uh, Ed, Ed McMahon yeah, or Doc. Doc Severinsen. Was it just that those shoes were too big to fill? Yeah, I think that very early on, we, we all felt, I mean, we didn't even discuss it, it just felt like, why would you want to do that? Mm -hmm. and, it's gonna, and, and then it also, it shakes the reality, because here's Johnny, we have Johnny, so why would you now have a guy? There are a couple of things, we see it in a long shot, and it's a blurry guy, he's about Johnny's height yeah. with gray hair and a nice suit, but that's just to sort of to give you the sense of reality. But um, no, Johnny was so in our homes and in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, you can't really fake it. But also my perspective, and I, you know, as gracious and as uh, welcoming as he was to me, we never hung out. You know what I mean? I was, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know if this was this way, Jeff, in the seventies. But when I was there in the late late eighties and then in the nineties, uh, you know, there was security. And when Johnny moved from dressing room to makeup to wardrobe, wherever he moved, everything was on lockdown. Like there'd be a guard in the hall, like everybody calm down, you know. And you just sensed it. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And right. you just sensed, it. and so literally all I would see, and I was there. I'd see a shoulder. I'd see a gray hair. Oh, there he went. And, and it was exciting. It was like the president, you know, like the yeah. entourage is moving. And there's Johnny. And that's, that's where we got the name. It's like, there he is. <laughs> yep. He's just in the air and he's huge. But you didn't really see him. Yeah, I've heard that a lot, that he would come in later in the day. He would, you know, get ready, do the show. And he wouldn't hang around after hmm. that. He was kind of a ghost. And, yep. you know, there's some writers who claim that they never even met Johnny. Is that true? They were working uh, on I don't think show. so. The writers no? met him, for sure. Oh, okay. But he definitely, you know, was a, it was a well-oiled machine. He yeah. had it down. He's... And who ran it? Was that would that be Freddie? Yeah, Freddie de Freddie Cordova. Freddie and Peter Lasalle. Mm. Freddie de Cordova, the producer of the old Tonight Show, and he's played brilliantly by Tony Danza. What was Freddie like? Did you guys ever interact with him? Yeah. Well, sure, we you, both did. Yeah, 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 we both know. But go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. You, you worked with him every day. Well, you know, he was the Tonight Show greeter. He was the yeah. figurehead. He was he was the guy that, that could schmooze you, and yeah. he was he was wonderful with talent, and he was a. He was great at what he did. He was, I, he was the my, gatekeeper, right? He yeah. was the gatekeeper. My experience with him was only as the schmoozer. Uh -huh. yeah. And he was so good at it that we used to look forward to it. And my wife and I would go to the show, 
and you know, getting dressed, and it's always you're always nervous. You always want to do great. And about 20 minutes before the show, there's a little knock on the door, and Freddie's there, and <laughs> with a cigarette and a drink, and he just looks like a million bucks with a perfect suit and tie. And he would just make a couple of little jokes, <laughs> and a little just joke for the wife, a little joke for you. <laughs> and sometimes you don't even know what he said, but it sounded exactly right. He's so smooth. And he'd leave and go, "That's an art, man, yeah. to just do that." And and I would not have been happy if he didn't yeah. come in and do. I don't know what he did, yeah. but it helped. But he must have done more than that, didn't he? Well, I, you know, I think the bottom line is Peter is pretty much running the show. Peter LaSalle, oh, Peter LaSalle, brilliant yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, and he had a real feel for how to book guests that would work yeah. well with Johnny. But but Fred is the person that that everybody wanted to go to. Everybody wanted to have yeah. Fred's blessing. And, he and was Fred terrific. was very old school Hollywood. So he had. Oh, yeah. a, I mean, yeah. He directed Ronnie Reagan, Ronald, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> Ronnie, in, Ronnie you, my buddy Ronnie, really? in uh, Bedtime for Bonzo. You're kidding me. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. really? Well, for years, Johnny would always do these bedtime for Bonzo jokes. I go, What's with that, that movie? Because Freddie, he was needling Freddie, <laughs> right? I got that. Yeah, or Fred would get an invitation well, to the White House. You know, Johnny yeah. didn't. So why is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh, you're right. Tony Danza play is the only uh, a character actor that we have a real character. So Freddie's based on a real. We were going to get cute and call him, you know, Eddie Schmimnorba. Yeah. It's like well, just, <laughs> let's call it Freddie. And uh, Tony Danza knew him also, so he 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 oh, yeah. knew him. he knew him very well. I think they socialized. Huh. But uh, uh, and Tony Danza was a guest host. Yeah. So when he was a guest host, he had to work oh, with Fred yeah. professionally. So and he was. Yeah. But he's I did a million shots too. Yeah, and wow. but and he's so good. You know, and it's one of the thrills. Tony's one of these guys who just gets better and better. And he's such a likable guy, and you, you hang out with him, and you're out in the street with him. Everybody loves Tony. Then you just watch his work, and he's because he's not playing Tony. He's really. Playing Freddie, who had this very sort of arch, or maybe I just remember it that way. He just spoke very flowery and a little extra fancy and uptown. And Tony just wrapped himself into this role, and he's so good. It's it's really great. Yeah, he's uh, terrific. I remember Bob, Bob Newhart at Fred's funeral, I think, said that uh, he had this recollection of Fred coming up to him during the commercial break, and he said, during the next segment, try and say something amusing. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of thing you do. Yeah, and then you laugh, and he'd walk away. That's real encouraging. Yeah, because everybody, you know, smart comics know walk away on the laugh. Yeah, he would get his laugh, and he would disappear. But we have it shot for shot. When you see, you know, we cut to Tony sitting next to his monitor. It it blends in so perfectly because America knew Freddie, whether they knew who it was or not. Like we've seen this guy, and he's though the guy with the big square glasses with a cigarette laughing at Johnny. Yeah, you guys do a great job of blending in the original footage from The Tonight Show with what's going on on the set and the we scripting really part smart of it. really smart set designers and, and, and cinematographers, and they really made it... You know, there's a, there's a color palette to the show mm-hmm. that... In the back of your brain, you wouldn't know, but you go, oh, that's yeah. why it's 70s. Liz, like a sort yeah. of it's a brown now. thing. It's like, I don't remember the 70s being brown, but it seems to yeah. be. <laughs> and how did you guys pick the clips that you used in the show? How did you decide to tie them in? How did we pick that, Jeff? I think that we had discussions about moments uh, uh, that happened during the show and then mm-hmm. looked at the clips and see if we could write around them and... and Paul and David did that. Mm-hmm. Some, it, it went a lot of different ways. Uh, once or twice, we had a clip that we remembered that we wanted to use. Like there's one episode, and we all remembered this uh, dog food commercial and a live. Now Fido here is uh, certainly <laughs> loves the taste of this natural beef, and then the dog wouldn't eat it, and it was hysterical. And then on, yeah. in, on this show, on what happened was Johnny Carson came in and he saved the day and he made some great improv comedy out of it. And we thought, well, how, so let's if we had to write backwards. 
Why wouldn't the dog eat? What what, what did the kid do oh, that okay. messed up oh, our so dog? Build a whole episode. Right. Yeah, so we exactly. built the story. But a lot, most of the <laughs> other awesome. times, it was either because I wanted to see people that I liked. So let's find George Carlin. Let's find yeah. Albert Brooks. Uh, there's Rodney on there, and. Um, well, the and, Dr. Dr. Anshiel moment is so wonderful. Uh, I mean, you're, you're watching this uh, this um, psychologist who is talking about how the world is uh, uh, falling apart because of values and perversion. And he was a sex doctor yeah. in, in our very first yeah. episode. And and this is where the talent uh, bookers come in and they do their job. So they book George Carlin with this guy. So you're sitting next to each other, you had the polar opposite yeah. Yeah. of the culture from 1972. Mm-hmm. So George doing doing his things about getting arrested for the words, and you know, seven words you can't say on television. And then this guy comes in and is talking about perversion. So you can just sense the audience going, oh, George, you got to get at this guy, straighten this guy out. And then there's a shot, and we kept it in there, of Johnny, as the sparks were flying, Johnny just looks in the camera and sort of winks like, how about this? Ain't this fun? And you go, oh, son of a gun. They knew it. They knew this oh, would yeah. be fun. And as friction as frictiony as they got, there was a civility. And yeah. at the end, we didn't, weren't able to keep this in our show, but at the end, the very last shot of that show, of the actual Tonight Show, George extends a warm hand and says, forgive me if, if, I, if I seemed rude. I was really just trying to understand you, man. And I thought, whoa, yeah. that's a moment you don't see now. Right. Yeah. Right? They're actually different people trying to understand each other. Uh, you know, I almost wonder if today's late night shows, guest bookers on those shows, really take into consideration the mixture of the panel when you well, get no a, panel, everyone really. on the couch. There are, it's yeah. now go, you sit down oh, and you're not, gone. You just move on. It's, okay. a, it's a lost art, too, I think. Yeah. I think that, you know, we, when we were on the show, if you did the Tonight Show, you couldn't do another talk show for like two weeks. And now you can do a talk show tomorrow. I think there's tremendous yeah. pressure to to get people on the show. Yeah, so. but it, but you don't really stick around. Yeah, uh, yeah you know that's interesting. Um, that's right? Somebody so comes different. out and they little. Well, I think what's I think it, you're uh, right. um, they don't really interact anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah, not like that, because you used to get all kinds of great interactions between right. the different Yeah, and there guests. was, there was right. an you'd have a funny person, you'd have the big, or you'd have a, 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 it'd be a beautiful actress, and I don't know if they, if somebody said, make sure you wear a very revealing dress, whatever, right. but, right. and you, and Ed and Johnny would be doing jokes, like, not quite raunchy, but everybody <laughs> knows, and yeah. probably the actress knows too, or, or the model, whatever, but they're playing, you know, playing the role of, of, of the sexual object. So these double entendres are yeah. flying overhead, and you wouldn't do that now, and you certainly wouldn't do it this month. Yeah, right, <laughs> um, right. Um, but yeah, so so, and that was so. To the, answer your original question of uh, how do we pick the clips, sometimes we just looked for clips that gave you a taste of what the world was like yeah. then. So there was one. Uh, well, we it, looked at jokes about Vietnam. Yeah, when we were looking for a Vietnam joke, we couldn't find anything with really any bite to it. Because Johnny didn't do that. Johnny, if right, he did a Vietnam, right. it would be about oh how you know uh, how badly uh, Henry Kissinger's flight was coming back. He he <laughs> yeah. wouldn't take sides. And we wrote a scene that Tony Danza did beautifully, where he lectures the comics. It's like you don't don't ever make a joke like that. You don't. Do you even know what Johnny thinks? No, you don't. Because Johnny. Yeah. And you're thinking, yeah, that's no, true. no one knows, right? No, Nobody knows, and you can did. and you yeah. can project right. onto him whatever it is that makes you comfortable. Which is so different than today, where 
all of the late night comics are probably rightly so are piling on to Donald Trump. But I don't think Johnny would have ever done that well, because this, he played this, both sides. Right. The story Everyone about, was fair game. They were they were given it to Richard Nixon in the monologue. And, and there was a story yeah. that Nixon was up late and drinking and was very <laughs> upset about that. And Johnny said, that's it. No more. We're not doing any more Nixon jokes. No wow. More. When he was in office. When he was in really? office, yeah. They were hammering him. No good. more Nixon jokes. Yeah, no really? That's why I stopped doing them. Yeah. Also, it's, it's a little too late. But I got a good one if Everything he comes back. comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Did Johnny ever sit with the writers and punch up the jokes? Or? You know, uh, because the show was on for so long, I think they did it originally in New York, and they kind of stopped in the 70s. And then mm. when I became uh, the social producer and the producer, we had regular meetings with uh, Johnny at his house. So every week we'd go to his house and we'd sit around... And in the, spitball in, ideas. in the afternoon, in the morning, in the morning, every Monday, every huh. Monday morning. So we had a, we have a thing. It's in uh, I think our second episode, where uh, the kid has to get the jokes to Johnny's house, uh -huh. and I think that was based and and the, in the it's show true. it's like yeah. he had to be there at twelve, not five <laughs> after twelve, not five before twelve, at twelve, at and twelve the, on the dot, and that was literally the way it was. <laughs> yeah, basically there was a team of three or four different writers who would write four or five monologues, mm -hmm. and they would. Give them to the receptionist, which I was at the time. <laughs> call him, call a uh, a messenger. The messenger would pick up the envelope, drive the uh, the the uh, the envelope to Johnny's house in Beverly Hills, and then Johnny would come in with the envelope and the monologues circled with uh, mm. uh, the, the, sh the the jokes that he liked mm -hmm. and an order. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, you've, I you, you sound like Johnny, by the way, man. right now. That's wild. <laughs> 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 but we had uh, it was him. a joke a line that we put in the show where the kid they need somebody and the writers don't want to take it because it's like yeah. they'll shoot the messenger oh, so yeah. like yeah. so give it to this green kid the new kid <laughs> and uh, as he's running out the door he says you writer says you cannot lose this if you lose this america will have no jokes tonight <laughs> do you want america to have and that's what it was so as you even as you're sitting here now telling me they sent a messenger I'm going a messenger? a messenger that can go wrong yeah they didn't have <laughs> yeah. a guy who just wow there's no, no fax email machine back i can remember when, when we finally had a fax machine okay so we could actually fax the monologue to johnny's house and he would come in with these Stacks of paper. Remember how it was all curled? Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. Said, how, how do you how do you change toner? I, I need toner. What does that mean? <laughs> the yeah. writers' room does feature pretty prominently, and there's Johnny. You see them nervously waiting to see their jokes go over, see how Johnny delivers his monologues, and whether it's a yeah, flop you live or and die. Hit. You live and die, and literally, yeah. they, would, yeah. they would get fired right at some thirteen point. weeks. That's every thirteen weeks, yeah. So they, yeah. Not, they wouldn't get fired every thirteen weeks, but you were oh, you were vulnerable. Some guys did, <laughs> right? Some people some, did. Yeah, I've heard. I had Al Jean and Ed yes. Weinberger on, and they said, yeah, Johnny would fire you and then rehire you six weeks later. Right? Maybe maybe he's funnier now. Yeah, <laughs> they said their their fortunes literally did rise and fall with every monologue. It, it has to have been pretty nerve-wracking oh. to be a writer on The Tonight Show, huh? Yeah, well, and we had a lot of fun with that because it's such a uh, a shared experience. So, mm -hmm. you know, everybody, and really everybody in the in the production is just, you just want to make this show great, make Johnny yeah. look good, make Johnny happy. Anything short of that is bad. <laughs> so you're just walking on eggshells, and it's different really than uh, most workplaces. It's like it's make this guy shine. Now, one writer on the show who got a little bit more leeway from Johnny was, of course, the legendary Pat McCormick. Jeff, I've heard all kinds of Pat McCormick stories <laughs> over the year. Do you have a particular favorite? Uh, <laughs> or did you, did you, was, was he around during your era there? Oh yeah, for sure. You he he was never a regular, he had sort of a, a, a sort of specialized position, he would, didn't he? He would just come and go. I mean, he was there for a couple of years <laughs> so when that's I was what there. I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
He had we, some memorable moments at some parties. So yeah, <laughs> he was. He and and America would know. I mean, he was he was big, like six four, six six, huge, yeah, huge guy, and crazy funny. Yeah, and. We actually had a cat. We had a Pat McCormick character in the story, oh, yeah. and then we ended up just sort of trimming it, and we didn't know who he is, and it just seems so strange. But we did take one of his stories and amend it. Yes. So there is in there a uh, story that let's say is inspired in the Pat McCormick craziness. Can I? I but I can't say it away. is him. Can no. I just say helicopter? Maybe you could. Maybe you couldn't. Again, I can't <laughs> okay. say anything. Okay, but, that's, but, all but, but there was, that's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there were a lot of stories, and what we basically did, we took, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that was in the air and piece. We spoke to some of the writers, and of course, mm. Jeff had lots of stories, and then we fictionalized it. So you know, nothing is literal. Although one, there was one episode that we did that was based on a true event where there was. Uh, an extortion yeah. of a plot yeah, on right. Johnny, and and he woke up, and there was a on his lawn was a threatening note and a, and a hand grenade, a hand grenade, a fake, a, you know, a fake grenade, Jeez. and they brought in the police, and they brought in the FBI, and and I only I didn't know about it then. It was pretty yeah, kept a secret 70s. in the seventies, early seventies, and then read I read about it recently only. It's like. And it reads like a, a novel. I go, are you kidding? Yeah. So Johnny, there was a drop, yeah, I heard and they had to story. drop the money, and Johnny insisted on going. And Johnny and he gets there with an FBI guy, and, and the FBI guy sees that Johnny's packing a gun in his belt. And he goes, oh, my, you can't say no to Johnny Carson. So we took, we said, we can't not use that. Yeah. So we took that story, and we, you know, expanded it and made it ours. Along those lines, I have to ask, Jeff, is it true that at one point, I've heard this story, Johnny had a stalker. And the way that he dealt with it is he at one point he just decided to hire the person and they ended up becoming a reception and got over their obsession with Johnny Carson and then became obsessed with Paul McCartney or something. No, I've never Have heard you ever that. heard that? No. That's how Jeff got the job. <laughs> <That's exactly. laughs> one Were time. The that's really, I've I, I never heard that. Guy. Yeah, I, I've heard that repeated a couple of times. There was the Johnny had a stalker. And at one point he's like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, let's just give him a job," <laughs> and then he left him alone. He never bothered to match. Jeff is that. here to shadow that myth, <laughs> but that's uh, that, that would do it for yeah. anybody. Yeah, yeah. Right. You think you love somebody? Spend a week with them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Get him coffee a couple of times. Now I've always heard that he was kind of withdrawn and kind of shy, wasn't terribly social. Do you think that that was part of it? Kind of the cost of fame and the fact that you had people showing up and harassing you and wanting to extort you or kidnap you I, or I think God to be a what. star at his level is difficult mm -hmm. it's tough and to be in the public eye for 30 years is, mm -hmm. is tough not easy we had such an intimacy with this guy right we didn't know you don't really know him so anything you find yeah. out about anybody famous like oh I heard he was you know I heard he really doesn't like uh, cheese on the cheeseburgers like <laughs> well no you know there's always some yeah. colorful little piece of information like no they're real people but they're we think we're we know them I don't know where that cheese was going. That was I had a I had a joke in mind and it went away. But but that's uh, to his enormous credit yeah. is that he was in our homes for thirty years more thirty years well, thirty just, plus yeah, 30 and years. and it's an intimate relationship. And the other thing that yeah. kept coming up to and hitting me on the head about the seventy two nineteen seventy two ness of it. We didn't have even video recorders. So yes, you stayed up, mm -hmm. and yes, you made an appointment, and if you missed it, you missed it. You, yeah. Somebody would tell you, oh, you should have seen it. Well, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. So until Jeff started keeping <laughs> the tapes, and now at least we can watch them. But, um, and we're talking not about a million people. We're talking 25 yeah. million people every night. Like a yeah. lot right. of people, right. a lot yeah. of awareness. 
Yeah, and you're right. There, there is a certain intimacy to the idea that you're watching him at 1130, not prime time. You might be watching him in your bedroom instead of with the family in the living room. Yeah, I, listen, I, there's something also about television that's different than a movie. You know, you go to the movies mm-hmm. and it's like they're 15 feet tall. You're in somebody's home, there's intimate. And I, I know when, when I was on TV a lot, when Mad About You was on, people would come over and they would just pick up a conversation that from the show. Like, oh, you know what you should have said to Jamie? You should have said, I'm like, whoa, whoa. I was to make-believe, but, you know, but we were invested. So magnify that by a zillion, and that's what Johnny Carson was. He was in your home, and he was a welcome part. And it really was, I mean, to this day, I think that's why people have been responding to this mm-hmm. so positively to, to our show. It's like, ah, still miss him. He's so still funny. miss yeah, him. I think so. Yeah, it's funny. When I look back at those old episodes and I think back to staying up late to watch Johnny Carson as a kid, and I compare that to late shows today, not to denigrate Jimmy Fallon or Conan or any of these guys, it just seems like there's something missing. And I don't know if it's if I'm being nostalgic, I don't know if it's a secret ingredient that I can't put my finger on or if it is the fact that it was that appointment television that just doesn't exist now in the digital on-demand era. Yeah, yeah. I think that 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 period of history is over. And I'm not saying it's even bad. It's just it is. We're never going to have three channels and we're never yeah. going to not have the ability to watch whenever we want. And listen, all these guys who are great, and Jimmy Fallon is great, and Jimmy Kimmel and Steve Colbert and everybody... They've all found their own little niche, but they, and they will all tell you, Conan, you know, be the first to tell you, because, yeah, we're just only doing this because we grew up watching and idolizing Johnny. He set, he set the tone. Between Stranger Things on Netflix and Red mm-hmm. Oaks on Amazon, and <laughs> now you've got There's Johnny, which was originally developed for CISO. Now it's uh, premiering on Hulu. Paul, you're kind of becoming the king of streaming television, I think. I like to, I like to think of myself as the king. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's uh, that's just all a nice, happy coincidence. And uh, when we started the show, it was, it was more people are hearing about CISO now that it's dead than knew about it when it was on. <laughs> it's that's amazing. true. But, but um, you know, one of the reasons we liked it, we, we met with a whole bunch of people, but I liked that it was a small, uh, a small network that look to us to sort of help build them up that we they were gonna we were by far their biggest show and i I don't know what happened behind the scenes and why they you know nbc comcast decided to close that up but i have to say to their credit nbc comcast i was in communication with uh one of the women uh, executives there and she was uh, from the, from, she said, "Listen, we, we're we're going to close CISO, but we're going to find a home for this." And huh. you, and she said, "Listen, we could still put you on. We're we're still broadcast. We're still you know streaming for six months." She said, "But why?" She said, "The show is too good." And I think uh, whether it was ever articulated or not, there's a responsibility that we're all kind of carrying Johnny's legacy. Yeah. So you can't put Johnny in a show and then go, "Yeah, we canceled it." No, no. Yeah. You you've got to let people. <laughs> this is too good and. Yeah special so we're riding his coattails all the way there <laughs> yeah, you bet no but but so i i i i know they were talking to a lot of people and when they finally landed us at hulu i thought that's perfect that's perfect at this point in your career do you find the flexibility of this format digital streaming media and places like hulu and amazon more appealing than doing a network sitcom like mad about you again yeah i think so i i think it's just nice to have more options mm-hmm. you know you can you know, you can have an idea for the 10 episodes and then be done if you wanted. You could do two years. It's no longer, you don't have to come up with the gangbuster nine season uh, yeah. mega hit. So there's a lot, it's, you know, people will say the downside is there's such a fragmented audience, but 
the reality is you can get around to it all. Mm. You know, I know I watch shows that have been out for a year or two because I'm just can't get there in time. I think it was just two months ago that it was the 25th anniversary of Johnny's final show. Jeff, what was that like? Did your uncle handle that night pretty well or was well, it emotional for him, I imagine, afterwards? You know, <clears throat> they didn't do standing ovations every night on The Tonight Show. They just did it mm. every now and then. Well, for the last month, he mm. got a standing ovation every night. And every, every day, the, it got longer and longer really? and longer. If you watch the last show, uh, the monologue, the applause goes on for so long, he stands there and he says, I, we, I can't do this anymore. It's, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's enough. Did you have to cut? Uh, no, because no. we didn't edit anything. You never did. We never had the ability to edit. Wow. And, uh, even at the end, you could, no. really? It was, it was not even digital. Because you still, still had analog. To, and it had to be yeah. on New York in yeah. two oh, hours. Yes. Hour and a half. Yeah. Hour and a half. <laughs> so, so it was, it was wow. an incredible deal. It was yeah. an unbelievable moment um, to work on that show right across the street from where we're at. Yeah. Did you know when he threw when he said he was going to quit and make it his last year, did you have any heads up? Yeah. You knew? Yeah. Really? He's, he told me that he was going to go and, and make the announcement at the... Uh, up fronts. Yeah, up fronts. Really? Yeah. Of course, as I recall, he kind of vaguely threatened that every time his contract was up for renewal was it didn't he? well that's some negotiation place but, yeah. Yeah. but but my recollection is or maybe it was the way it was portrayed in, in in the books and movies that that he was sort of going he was sort of sticking it to happy to stick mm -hmm. it to people that he felt were well you know it's, it's funny that the networks the, yeah. had taken five minutes out of the show so they could show the uh uh, uh the war and um the gulf war the gulf war yeah. the gulf war and they decided that they they weren't going to give it back, and they still haven't given it back. This huh. all the late night shows started at eleven thirty five, and he was really upset about that. And when he found it out, when he was in New York, he said, "You know what? I was going to leave in October, but I'm not. I'm going to leave in May." Wow! <laughs> and that's when he walks off, and Bob Wright is mortified. <laughs> wow! Really? So that while he was there, he found that out. Yeah, that's wild. He said, we're not we're, we're not going to give that back. We like that wow. five minutes. Well, there'll never be another. Before we go, I have to ask both of you, what's your favorite moment from The Tonight Show? <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Uh, I think it's uh, when things aren't going great and he's able to, uh, to, to come up with some incredible lines. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's, this, there's a funny story when he's with Rodney Dangerfield and uh, Rodney Dangerfield is just, just firing all cylinders and he sits down and he says to, uh, Rodney says to Johnny, you know, Johnny, you and Ed have been together for 30 years. No kids? <laughs> he gets this huge, huge laugh. And Johnny just waits yeah. and said, well, it's not like we haven't tried. That's How about you? He was masterful of that. Like he knew, like, get the laugh. If they're laughing, just wait it out. And then he would often come in. I, I, I mean, there were so many... From a very <laughs> narcissistic point of view, I mean, I remember one day getting a particularly uh, un unrehearsed laugh on uh, an ad lib. Something he asked me a yeah. question, and I said something, and he literally shot back in his chair laughing. And I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm like in heaven now. This is that's an actual <laughs> laugh. That was not being polite. Mm -hmm. I actually cracked Johnny up, and it was such a because the audience loved when he laughed. Yeah. And I remember. It was such a sustained laugh, or it might have been three seconds, but in my head, it was longer than I had was ready for. And I remember thinking, I don't, I don't know what to do now. They're just laughing. I have no, you know, what do I do? I just, it was like riding a big wave. Whoa, whoa, just hang in there. But uh, it was, it was like a, that was an exciting moment, like to yeah. get a genuine laugh from somebody you admire so much. To make you yeah. laugh, big deal. 
Well, again, season one of There's Johnny debuts on Hulu November 16th. Paul Reiser and Jeff Sotzing, thanks for talking with me. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Paul and Jeff for coming on the podcast. Season one of There's Johnny is now available on Hulu, and I highly recommend it. It's just a great show with a lot of laughs and a lot of heart, a great cast. It's wonderful nostalgia for a Carson fan like me, but it's also fresh enough to hold up on its own as well. Just watch the first episode, and I promise you, you'll love it. Keep up with Paul at paulreiser.com or on Twitter at at paulreiser. And for all kinds of fun Carson-related stuff, including memorable clips from The Tonight Show, visit Jeff's website at johnnycarson.com. Today's episode was sponsored by Nadex. You know, more investors are getting into day trading to take advantage of market downturns instead of watching helplessly from the sidelines. The problem? Day trading can be risky and trading the downside can be confusing. But binary options on Nadex let you day trade with risk protection built in. You decide your maximum risk and reward and you can never lose more. And trading downturns is just as easy as trading rallies. Try day trading for yourself on the first and largest American binary options exchange. Trade stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at nadex.com. That's N-A-D-E-X.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Now, you know, folks, we love having great advertisers support our show. But in order to keep doing that, we need your help. So please do us a favor and go to podcastlistener.com slash kick to answer a few short questions. It would be really helpful to us. Again, that's podcastlistener.com slash kick. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at kickassnews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.